Let me give you two words. The first word is, we're going to call it externals. Externals. E-X-T-E-R-N-A-L-S. Externals. Right under that, I want you to write down the word internals. I-N-T-E-R-N-A-L-S. Externals, internals. Now, we're going to look at this overall theme, but I'm going to shape it up a little bit. Everything in life falls in one of the or the other category. It's either an external or it's an internal. Now, externals are things I can't control. Things that I cannot control. Internals are things that I can control. All right, we pretty clear on that? Externals, what I cannot control. Internals, what I can. There is nothing in life that doesn't fall in one or the other category. Now, here's the shocker. 98% of what we deal with, what we experience, falls under externals. 98%. I want that to sink in. So you literally, throughout your lifetime, are in absolute control of about 2% of what you deal with. 2%. And here it is. The only thing you got control over is how you choose to react and respond to people, things, and situations. That's all you got control over. I have the... What I can control is what I and how I choose to react, respond to people, things, and situations. Now, that's going to be the backdrop. Now, let me move over and let's talk a little psychology. Talking about letting things go. Your brain is a recorder of you. From the moment you were born, your brain began to record you. That's right. This is going to sound like this is some crazy stuff, but it's real. From the moment all of us were born, our brains began recording. Well, what was our brain recording? It records what you think, what you say, and what you hear and what you do. That's what your brain records. Every night when you go to sleep, one of, the, one of the first functions of your brain is to take those recordings of what you say, think, hear, and do, and turn it into a memory. And every night, it takes those recordings that's now getting turned into a memory, and your brain stores it in this section over here. It's where your hippocampus is. That's called, that's where all of your long-term memory exists from the time you were born until you die. So to be honest with you, when people say, oh, you should forgive and forget, that's a lie. Because your brain takes those recordings 
and stores it in there and turns it into memory. So we got a long memory. You ever heard that term before? We got a long memory? Well, that's some truth to that. Your brain records all this stuff. Now watch this now. The majority of these recordings or memories are supposed to be temporary. What is it recording? What you think, say, do, and hear. It's supposed to be temporary. That stuff doesn't get permanent until around about 60 days. But if you keep thinking, hearing, saying, and doing the same thing over and over, your brain has the ability to make those recordings or messages or memory permanent. It makes it permanent because it hardwires it into your brain circuitry and turns it into a program. Isn't that fascinating? I wish I could hear you because I know you'd be like, wow, yeah. It turns it into a program. And so now a program is exactly what you do. Talking about letting stuff go. Well, let me show you the fight you're in for. But praise be to God, I don't care how bad the fight is, you have someone who's already done the fight, got victory over it, and can show you how to get it too. That's the good news. So all these memories that are now hardwired, what your brain then does is put you on autopilot. Autopilot means your brain assumes control over you. And then it starts making these assumptions for you. And then all those things that you've taught it about yourself, your brain will now keep you doing those things. That's why we got to let this, we got to learn how to let this stuff go. Because you just keep doing, we'll just keep doing the same thing. We call them automatic default responses. We do the same thing. You know, when you get in an argument with your significant other, you already know what she's going to say. You can call her out on it. She can call you out. We do the same thing. And watch this. We, we, we get up pretty much the same time every day. We have our same morning routine. We drive to work the same way. We see the same people at the work. We eat lunch the same time. We drive home the same way. And we have the same evening routine to get back in the same side of the bed that you did earlier that day. You haven't really done much of anything. Your brain's got you so routine that you do the same thing, same reactions, and the same responses. I'm talking about how to start beginning to, to let this thing go or let stuff go. You're fighting yourself. That's the problem. You have taught your brain all your habits all your preferences, how you do stress, what makes you angry, what side of the bed you sleep on, what's your favorite color, what's your favorite food, what you don't like about your spouse, what you don't like about your job, because you talk about it all the time. And whatever you talk about the most becomes who you become. So guess what? I'm talking about now breaking habits and letting stuff go. Well, it's hard to let it go when I don't even know what I'm doing. 
I keep doing the same thing over and over. That's why Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Paul also says that every day we need to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. Paul wasn't a psychologist, but he understood it. He understood the chain of command, talking about how to break habits and how to let things go. So here's the chain of command. Your brain is designed not to be the leader, but to follow your mind. Your mind is designed to follow you. And you in Christ are designed to follow him. So the chain of command is Christ in me. Now me can control this mind. And now I can force my brain to break these patterns and habits that I've been holding on to. And I wish I could get a witness in here. I'm ready to shout because that's some good news. Amen. 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 Thank you. Put them things off of mute. And everybody Amen. shout it here. Amen. Amen. Do you see the chain of command? Christ in me, now me, he's making the decisions of what I think. Now, what I think can change the way my brain has learned me, and I can break these habits. And guess what? In psychology, we call it the power of neuroplasticity. I know that's all big, but it ain't no. What it means is I can use the power of my mind to break these programs that my brain has learned because I taught it. Now it's possible for me to let stuff go. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, amen. I got one amen. I got one. Amen. 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 Okay. Amen, Doctor. Amen. Let me stop. Did I lose anybody? Because if I don't, if I haven't, I'm not moving on until I make sure everybody understands what I just laid out. You can't control anything. You need the power of Christ in you, in your life, to be able to control your urges and habits and patterns. Because if you don't have the power of Christ, you won't, you're not going to be able to break it. And you can get to the end of the year and put them silly resolutions in place. I have no resolutions. Every day, I want to get better and better. Why am I going to wait till the end of the year and they're going to put up a list of 25 things that I want to do differently? You're not going to do half of that stuff. Come on. Be serious. What you really want is I want to get deeper in my relationship with Christ, and I want to learn to submit to him. And by submitting to him, my mind changes, my talks changes, and my actions change. Now I can let stuff go because in psychology, we say it like this. Your life will always follow your thinking. Now the scripture says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Aren't they saying the same thing? Sure. Everybody want to put pit psychology against theology. They're not at war. They're saying the same thing. Psychology says your life will always follow your thinking. Theology says 
as a man thinketh, so is he. So let me show you something, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about how to let it go. Connect the dots, Doc. I'm about to do that right now. Thank you. I love that voice. You give me that voice, have mercy. <laughs> let me connect. Let me connect them dots. What you think becomes your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions form your character. Let me say it again. What you think forms your words or becomes your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions form your character. Now, I'm going to stop there. You guys tell me what you think. What am I saying? Anybody talk? What are you guys thinking? Genesis, he spoke, he spoke the world into existence by the words and even in Hebrews, you know, our thoughts become manifested by the words that we speak with what's been programmed with inside of us internally. Hmm. Somebody else, that was nice. What are, what are we saying here? Doc, I would go to faith comes by hearing. So if we're speaking it, we're hearing it. And if we're putting faith in what we're hearing and acting on that, then that's, uh, that's impacting our actions. Okay, anybody else? It reminds me of the tongue being the rudder of the ship. So the things you say, the words in your head dictates your direction. Hmm. Hey, hey, doctor, I was going to say that another thing that we hear all the time is you are what you eat. Hmm. Hmm. Love that. Hey, so let me take it a little further. Now I'm going to just sharpen the pencil a little bit like like Kelly says up there. I'm, a, I'm born and raised in Chicago, proud of it. Most of our cities get these bad reps. I'm a proud Chicagoan. And as a proud Chicagoan, even though I live here, I follow everything about the sports teams in Chicago. I know you guys out here in LA think Magic Johnson and Kobe, but the greatest of all time is Michael. And if you don't agree with me, I'll never come back. <laughs> it, it was good knowing you. <laughs> hey, that, that, that means you, you're close. You're too close-minded. <laughs> anyway, you're not going to convince me otherwise. That's the baddest ball player I've ever seen in my life. All right, now. When he retired in 1998 for the first time, they just immediately just went downhill. And I've been a Chicago Bulls fan before Michael even got there. I go back to Bobby Love and Chet Walker and Tom Bullwinkle and Jerry Sloan and, and Norm Van Leer. Say, I'm dating myself. I just turned 62. I don't feel a day over 61. Are you still a young man? I'm 69, so hang Have in. Have mercy. I'm, okay, then I'm in good company. I'm still a baby. I go way back. I used to sneak into the Chicago Stadium, man, that old dump. All the rats were down there just to watch them play. So when Jordan came along, it was just a whole new era. But when he left, I'm talking about letting stuff go. 
they went through a down period. And in 2003, my memory recalls me right, a little short guy, white guy, balding, had problems at college because they said he was drinking too much. His name was Scott Skiles, became the coach at the Chicago Bulls. He used to play for the Orlando Magic. In fact, for a long time, he had this assist record. I think he had 24 assists in one game. Yeah, he played with Shaq and Penny and all those guys. Anyway, so he became the coach of the Chicago Bulls. I'm interested in see what he's going to do. He walks into the, to the locker room, and all the guys are sitting there. And they're not even looking at him. Here come another one. This is the fourth coach and since, since Phil Jackson left. And he throws in a chalkboard. That's what he did. He wrote in a chalkboard. They don't do that today. This is 2003. And he starts writing down on the board every player's name. So he's got all 15 or 12 players down. And he just wrote their names down. Everybody looked up. Now, what is this guy about to do? And then beside each player, he wrote little excerpts of what was being said about the player. All the stuff he heard about him. You did this and you can't go right and you can't shoot beyond. That's what he started writing on the board. It took him like 20, 30 minutes. He started listening all the bad things that he'd heard about these players. Got their attention. And then he looked at them. After he listened all that stuff, he says, guys, this is what I heard about you. These are all the things that people are saying about you throughout the league where people are reporting, and this is all your stuff. And they looked at him, and he reached inside his pocket, and he took out an eraser. And he said, that's what they said. You getting this clean slate with me. So he started erasing all that negative stuff until he got down to the bottom, and he says, gentlemen, Day we start over, we start fresh. I love that. Because did you know that back in about the turn of the 19th century, there was a debate, actually the turn of the 20th century, there was a debate among educators. And the debate was over the pencil. The pencil. Some educators believed that you shouldn't put an eraser on the end of a pencil because it would encourage students to make mistakes. And other educators said, no, we human, we gonna make mistakes. We should have an ability to erase. Thank God for the eraser. Mm -hmm. I made a lot of mistakes. God knows it, I know it. And every day through the power of forgiveness, he takes the eraser and erases all that stuff. When I was growing up, we only had one TV in the house. I'm talking about this thing about how to start letting it go. I'm getting to my point. Just hold on. We had one TV in the house. Old Phil Cole. My dad would turn it on. It'd be a dot in the middle of the screen. And then that screen would go all the way across and then it would go up. It took about two minutes for that TV to warm up. When it turned off, it did the same thing. Man, my dad was an educator. 
He picked out, he get the paper on Sunday where the TV guide came in the paper. That's how old we are. TV guide came in the paper. He would sit down on Sunday morning and he would cross out or, or mark all the things we were allowed to see. It didn't take him long because we only allowed to see TV for two hours on Saturday night and three hours on Sunday. That was it. Here was the program on Sunday. I'm making my point. We got to watch Wild Wild Kingdom with Jim Perkins, mm -hmm. yeah. Jacques Cousteau, Deep Sea Diving, and Disney. Every night, one hour, Disney had a program on. They'd show some movie, something. That was it. Well, I'm sitting there with my brothers and sisters, and it was Jacques Cousteau's hour. Jacques Cousteau, in them days, they had the big helmets, had the tubes coming out the top, and people would be in the boat pumping air down to him. He'd go all over the world in these oceans and seas, and he would scuba dive and tell us what we would see. Well, one day, Jacques Cousteau was down there, and I don't even know the ocean. It was just deep. And all of a sudden, he was fighting for air. It was a kink in the line. So all of a sudden, Jacques Cousteau was trying to get to the top. And I'm sitting there spellbound because it sure didn't look like he was going to make it. And in those days, they didn't let you watch tragedy. They turned the TV off. The thing went blank. Today, they let you see somebody getting shot. They let you see all the blood and gore. They think they're going to monetize it. That TV went blank for about two minutes. We were all left wondering if Jacques Cousteau got up to the top of the boat. Well, two minutes later, TV came back on. There was Jacques Cousteau, Cousteau standing in the boat, hands on his knees, panting for breath. We all breathed, at least I know I did. I breathed a sigh of relief. And then he said something that I have never forgotten. He said, some oceans and seas are so deep that man and fish have yet, got, get, have yet to get to the bottom of it. Then I remember the old preacher that baptized me who said, I will take your sins and cast them into the depths of the sea. There they will rise no more. Now I understand what the psalmist was saying. He was saying that if you're going to be able to move forward, you got to let God take that stuff and he's going to toss it into the sea. And don't be going to get your scuba gear and going down there to get it. Well, how do you do it? What you talk about, what you think about, and how you act, you're literally bringing up the old stuff and you won't let it go. You want to learn how to let stuff go? You got to let it go by stop thinking about it, talking about it, and reliving it. The only time you do it is in therapy because God says, I don't even have a memory of it anymore. Why are you talking to me about something you did 10 years ago? I've already forgiven you for it. It doesn't even exist to me. So what do you think I'm saying, gentlemen? What am I saying? 
Dr. Leck, you're, you're telling us to let it go. We can't do anything about it. Um, it whether it was 98% of it was external anyway. And we just internalized it and we just, we met, we were married to it. It's time to divorce it. So how am I saying to let it go, Doc? I believe you're saying, you're saying to uh, not think about it, uh, not talk about it and not believe it. It reminds me of somebody, you see somebody walking down the street, talking to themselves, and you think that there's something going on with them. There is something going on with them. They may be bringing up an old situation, walking up and down the street, pacing back and forth. They're thinking about it, talking about it, and believing it. Hey, love that. Somebody else, what am I saying? Practical terms. How do about, I let go? About erasing, how about erasing it and replacing it? Just erase it and put something more positive in that place. When you said you use an eraser, it doesn't come back anymore. But you fill that, that, that erased spot with something positive to grow on. Okay, how do I erase it? Not, when it comes up to, to your memory, you just dismiss it. You don't entertain it. We call it, I don't want to, we call it the dwelling thought. The dwelling thought. The dwelling thought. Every day, again, I'm just trying to sharpen that pencil. Every day, the average person will think 50 to 80,000 thoughts. Watch this now. Of the 50 to 80,000 thoughts that you will think every day, most of these thoughts, you're not even aware of them because the majority of them happen in your subconscious. So there are only a few hundred or so that you're going to be aware of or that will come into your conscious being or you'll be aware of it. But 90% of your thinking is what we call repetitive. You already thought it. You thought it Friday. You thought it Thursday. You thought it Wednesday. You thought it, see, I can go all the way back. So listen, watch this. If, if and because 90% of our thinking is repetitive, every day when you wake up, what you're literally are doing is bringing everything you thought about all the way back there and you start the day off with it. Literally within seconds of you becoming conscious, you start this negative thinking or you start this thinking that brings ties in all of your stuff and each thought can produce its own emotion and reaction where you literally are reliving it. It's like what you did 10 years ago is so fresh in your mind through the power of your imagination. Because if you start dwelling on any one of these thoughts, anything longer than three seconds, hear me, gentlemen, anything longer than three seconds, then your imagination kicks in and either creates scenarios to match the thought or it syncs up with your brain and runs through your memory where your hippocampus is and connects it with the thing that actually happened. So then you wind up thinking about it, talking about it, and actually at some point doing it again. And this thing is deep. That's why the power of neuroplasticity, Paul says, let this mind be in you that's in Christ. I can't control this. 
My brain's got me on autopilot. I don't want to do, Paul says, the thing that I don't want to do, I do. The thing that I want to do, I just can't seem to do. Why? Because your brain has so memorized you and locked you into autopilot. And watch this. 75% of the world population will spend anywhere between 92% and 98% of a given day in autopilot mode. If you want to know why you're not getting with the success that you need, it's because most of your day, you're in autopilot mode. You're being held prisoner by your brain. I need the power of my mind, but the power of Christ in my mind to break this thing. Otherwise, I'll have some success, but I can't sustain it. I'll have some moments when things are just flowing, but I can't sustain it because your brain doesn't want to learn anything new. And yet, the way God designed your brain, you'd have to be a million years old before you would exhaust your brain's capacity to learn new things. Wow. So don't tell me you stuck. I'm telling you, oh, I, I, I always talk like this. Man, you don't even want to try. Yeah, you've always done it that way because your brain's learned it and kept you that way. But I want to learn a new thing. Behold, I will do a new thing, Isaiah says. That's why Paul says, hey, if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. I believe that. And as a, as a psychologist who studies the mind but understands that the power of God is the greatest power on the universe and your mind is the second most powerful thing in the universe i and god trusts me or he did he chooses to trust me with the second most powerful thing in the universe what a responsibility well i don't trust myself i don't i did, i can trust the power of god if you leave it to me there's a way that seems right to me, but the ends are the ways of death. I guess Proverbs. So I don't want you to trust yourself because if you leave it to your own devices, you'll figure, you think you can figure this thing out. And then you wonder why you keep talking the same thing, thinking the same thing and acting the same way. We call that, well, I'm, I'm at the age now, I'm 62. If I'm still doing the same stuff I was doing at 30, I'm an old fool. <laughs> <laughs> that's the glass that's the guy they see on hollywood he on he in the club with his shirt hanging open with 50 chains and he mm -hmm. think he think he relevant that's an old fool <laughs> and look i'm looking around this room we are we are not be old fools we kind of old now we in our 40s and 50s 60s some of you look still 60s <laughs> all right so what am i saying if I think on a thought longer than three seconds, one of those old thoughts connected to the past, you're going to relive it. Mm. You're going to set in motion a chain of events. And so your mind will now start thinking that stuff and it can recall it with accurate detail. And you're going to relive it. And you're going to feel guilty and shame. And here we go again, down that same path, 
and then you'll fall out. Oh, Lord. He said, wait a minute, dude. I've already forgiven you for that. Why are we still talking about something that has never, that didn't take place? Because the word forgiveness literally means, I have four words to describe it. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt. That's what it means. It means that when God cancels it, he treats it as though it never happens. Hallelujah for forgiveness. Amen. How many of you got some debts you want canceled? Every day, every, day, every month you get a, a note, uh, a letter from the bank saying, here's your debt from that credit card. And they'll even tell you, like they're doing you a favor. Hey, if you pay this so much, you can take you 20 years to pay that off. Well, guess what? God says, all you got to do is confess your sins, and it's paid in full today. Amen. I don't want to pay no interest. Making somebody. God says, forget it. So here it is. Anything longer than three seconds, if you're dwelling on the past, you're going to relive it. Dr. Lake, you, you gave that basketball analogy. And if you know three seconds in the paint, you get a foul. It's not, it's not a foul, but it's a turnover. Go back the other way. Right. Right. Three seconds. Three seconds in the paint. That's good. That's, that's good. Right. That's good, Brother Cooper Wood. Yep, that's offensive. Yeah, three seconds in the paint's offensive. Anyway. And defensive. You get five seconds. No, you get three seconds now. They got it down to three now. Oh, down to three. So it's both yes, offense sir. and defense. You can't just stand there. That's right. Mm. That's right. And, and watch this. Watch this. I was in school with a colleague. You probably know her. She's all over the news. Um, her name was Mel Robbins. She wrote a book called The Five Second Rule. Guys, if you want to get some good books, get that book. So I'm sitting there at one of her seminars when she's, she had just finished the book. And she was talking about the proponents of it because she's talking psychology and she's also talking motivation. And at the premise of the book, I totally believe her and agree with her because I operate my life on the five seconds or less rule. Remember Dan Tony when he took over in Phoenix? They had the seven seconds or less before you could shoot. I mean, you had to shoot within seven seconds. You know, revolutionized the lead. Well, her premise of the book is that if you want to do something, you literally have five seconds to do it. You've got an idea. You're driving. If you don't write that idea down or put it in, you know, dictate it over the phone to your to your, your notes, if you don't do that thing within five seconds, you're not going to do it. That's the premise of the book. It's a psychological thing. If you say, I want to get up at six o'clock and go run, when that alarm clock goes off at six, you literally got five seconds to get out of that bed. Otherwise, you're going to turn over and you're going to go right back to sleep. Right, right. That's how I live my life. Five seconds. So I say, okay, I wanna, I wanna text my uh, my best friend, tell him I love him. As soon as I think it, I don't use five seconds. I go three. I actually, I, I, I got to do it right then and there. See, guess what happened if you did that in your marriage? Have mercy. That's another basketball analogy, Doc. Come when on, you, give it you, to me. When you're inbounding the ball, you have five seconds, or it's a turnover, and the other team gets the ball. Now, now take it on home, Bishop. Apply it. Tell the men about applying it to the wife in your marriage. Mm -hmm. 
five seconds or less. Come on. All right. That, that first five seconds of waking up when you're both conscious, make it a good five seconds. Amen. Come on, man. Give me some more. You, you're thinking about her during the day. You say, man, I love that little lady. Five seconds, you'd reach out and tell her or text her. Do it. You want to get the urge to kiss her. You got literally five seconds to either do it, act on it, or you're not going to do it at all. You see what I mean? You see how you can revolutionize not only your wife, but you can do the same thing in business. You can use the same principle in marriage, every facet of your life. Change your life and watch Dr. it. Go ahead. Yes, please. I, I love what you're saying. And by the way, I was born in Chicago. I'm right there with you. I know I loved you for some reason. <laughs> but right now I'm next to a, a deep lake and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and starting to put things together and the idea of the power of, of forgetting and, and, and stopping the remembering. And I'm thinking, you know, that how many times do we not cast our stuff away? And I was just thinking, how often do we try to throw it away, but our memories float? And you're talking about Jacques Cousteau and the depth. But if I could tie it to a rock, the rock of salvation, the rock of mercy and grace, and I can let it sink to the depths, mm. never be seen again. You know, I think that five second rule, I can come to that shore, cast, tie it to the rock, cast it in, never be seen, not let it float. And then it all washes up on a shore that I find later in big bunches. And I just, I just love that idea of being able to chuck this stuff that keeps haunting. Um, that's just awesome, man. This is great stuff. Man, I like I like that analogy. And the rock is Jesus. It says I I'm gonna I will cast it, not you. I will cast it into the depths of the sea. And I ain't going down there to look for it either. I already know. I'm just gonna throw it down there. Mm. And you don't have to worry about when he throws it, it won't come back. When we throw it, we pull it back through our talking and our thinking and our actions. You literally going down there and pulling that stuff all the way back up, and then you wonder why you tired. Mm. <laughs> Shoot. Hey, the older I get, the less, the, the more freedom I feel. I might carry around all that stuff. I know some bad things have happened to us. We literally have to practice letting stuff go. Here it is again. Stop thinking about it. Stop talking about it and stop acting it. That's the key. Here it is, watch this now. Because your mind is the second most powerful thing in the planet, but your mind operates in a black or white world. It doesn't operate in gray. Humans, we like to operate in gray. We like to straddle between this or that. Your mind operates in this or that. And here it is. Your mind cannot, cannot have two thoughts at the same time. Mm. You say, well, at night, sometimes when I get stressed out, I get all these racing thoughts. Yeah, you do. You get, remember, you get 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And there are periods when you're stressed out, it feels like your thoughts or your mind is racing. But it's only when you focus on one of those thoughts 
that then that becomes the focus of your mind. All this talk, businessmen, about multitasking, it is a lie. You are not multitasking. All you are doing literally is moving from task to task and switching focuses. That's what you're doing. So quit thinking that you're doing multiple things at once. You have to see the way your mind works. And if it's the second most powerful thing on the planet and God gave you the keys to the kingdom, meaning you can control it, then guess what? You got to learn how your mind works and then learn how to guide it. Your mind says it's either black or white, good or bad, present or past. I'm either going to focus on the present or I'm going to focus on the past. What we do is we focus in the middle. Sometimes I go to the past. Sometimes I focus on the, the present and you get torn. And that's why James, again, another psychologist. Oh, I love these guys. Another psychologist. Here's what he said. James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Tell me these dudes didn't know psychology. There's no way your mind can operate in both. You're either going to focus on one or the other. And the people who try to walk the gray, those are the ones that struggle with letting stuff go. I already know what I did when I was 19. I ain't going to talk about that no more. I'm now 62. What does 19 have to do with 62 unless I'm still doing the stuff I did at 62 that I did at 19? Right. I'm a whole new creature. I don't even think the same way. So why am I going to talk about when we get around our little groups and we talk about, oh, I used to be this. I was a man, quit lying. You Come on. We live it off past glory. We got new glories to get into. Amen. Right? If I'm talking about what I used to be like in high school, that means you ain't got much going for you. I'm living better now at 62 than I ever did at, at 17, right, gentlemen? Aren't Amen. You, aren't Amen. You, aren't you ready for the new thing? Amen. So here's the new thing. Whatever your mind can conceive, you can have it. I lay in bed at night. I turn, I don't have a TV in my room, guys. I purposely don't have a TV in my room. I go there for two reasons. I'm either sleeping or making love. <laughs> and some nights I can have both. <laughs> Amen. I'm guaranteed to have one of them. <laughs> is that the 98% 2% rule, Doc? <laughs> it, sure, it sure is. <laughs> hey, but if, if I want to have both of them at night, I better set it up. <laughs> you better light a candle and don't hide it under the bushel. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I regress. I have a little humor. I got a little sickness in me. Um, I say I forgot what I was about to say. See, you got me messed up. <laughs> what was I saying? No, don't worry about it. It'll come to me later. The TV. <laughs> you were talking about the fact, sounds like you were about to talk about that when you're in your bed, what those other two things you're oh. thinking. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. I got it now. Thank you, Ella, for getting yeah, me. Yeah, a little excited out there for yeah. a minute. It's okay. Talk about the physical pleasures of Earth. <laughs> you know what I do when I go to bed? I daydream. I dream about what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, 
And I literally fall asleep literally almost every night daydreaming about my future. That's what I think. And Paul says, I think it's Philippians 4, 8. Hey, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are right and just and honest and, and pure, he says, think on these things. Whatever you think about becomes your words. Your words become your actions. And so if you want to let go, watch this now, because your mind can only focus on one, I'm either going to focus on my future. Well, guess what? You got to have a picture that you can see. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? And you should have multiple pictures because we are, we are picture oriented as humans. We literally move off of a series of pictures that form in our minds. Where do these pictures come from? They come from your thoughts. I knew that I was, I wanted to be a psychologist. I knew it. I also knew that God called me to be a pastor. So the first part of my life, that's what I focused on. My picture was always, even in high school, I was always the chaplain and I was always the one giving the prayers and the worship. And I was the one giving the week of prayers in our little private Christian school. That's what I saw. When I went to college, that picture was clear to me. So everything that I studied was in relationship to the picture of me being a pastor. Well, God gave me some other pictures growing up because I believe everybody in this circle has multiple gifts and callings. So not only did I see the picture for me to be a pastor, but also saw one to me to be a psychologist. He put this urge in me to study the brain and the mind and look at human behavior and learn how what I think and what I say and how I act are all interrelated. He put that in me. So after he gave me that call to pastoral ministry, he also gave me a call to do this. Now, what is he calling you to do? And if he's calling you to do it, you should be thinking about it. You should be talking about it and, and writing stuff down in these ideas. And as you think and talk and reflect on it, you're more likely to do it. Because so you want to talk about forgetting the past, I'm so busy doing this new thing or these new things, I don't have time to talk about or think about what happened in the past. Amen. Because of the power of my mind, I can only focus on one of them at a time. When my pictures going forward are so strong that I don't see anything from the past. And nor do I entertain it. I've already been forgiven. I've already talked through it. I've done my counseling. I'm done. My picture is this way. If your picture is not clear, you're going to feel stuck. If your picture is clear, it's going to create this internal motivation for you to move forward. And if you don't see a picture at all, you're going to feel like life's passing you by. So everybody on the planet are in three, one of three phases. You're either either moving forward, feeling stuck, or regressing. And I can go down the road. Who wants to be my human, praise God, guinea pig today? I'll just pick on somebody then. <laughs> now put your heads down. Huh? All right. Who is that? That's Cooper Wood. Okay, Cooper Wood, uh, unmute yourself. Make sure we can hear you. Yes. So watch this. You got three pit, you got three possible outcomes or movements. Forward, stuck, 
or moving backwards. Now you should have multiple pictures and I'm gonna talk about, I'm gonna ask you some questions about some of these pictures. In your professional life, which direction are you going? Forward, stuck, or moving back? Stuck. Okay, that's profession. In your relationship, this is, this is just us guys. Everything stays here. In your marriage, which shape are you going? Uh, stuck, moving backwards. Okay. How you feel about yourself, which direction are you going? Stuck. Now, if you stay, and okay, one more. As a father parent, where are you? Moving forward. Okay. Now, in psychology, we call it the 5-1 ratio. Don't ever forget this. For every one negative and feeling stuck and, or moving back, that's a negative. For every one negative, it takes five positives to even it out. The power of one negative thing, it takes five positives to even it. And that's because of sin. Mm -hmm. This wasn't the way God designed it. So what it means is, if I let this thing keep going, it will affect even the one area in your life, man, that's going good. Yes, sir. So how do we get unstuck? Because if I stay stuck or feel like I'm regressing, that's tied into the past. And guess what? You, you're not going to make any progress. So how do we get unstuck? And I get to ask you. Um... I would say go back to the, the practical things, the thinking, the talking, and the acting, and the doing. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't act on it. And do go in a different direction. I'm done with that. You know, most of the time it's, yeah, the thinking, the talking, the acting, and the doing. Okay, so watch this. And I love that. I thank you for being, you know, a human example. Watch this. All I got to do, and I'm going to do it with you right now, is help you change the, the lens that you look at life through. That's going to make you move forward. And that's going to help you forget the past. Because even in our relationships, so let's, we're going to go with your marriage. Just let me just, I'll work with you gently. Just hang with me. Because if you you got these negative things that's going on where you either feeling stuck or moving back, that eventually becomes the lens that which you will look through life at. Yes. If you're looking through a negative lens, you will never, never find anything positive. A negative and a positive is a what, gentlemen? Negative. Gosh. That's math, one-on-one. You won't change your life looking through a negative lens. Where does that negative lens come from? It comes from what I'm experiencing, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, and what I'm surrounded by. And yet God calls me to live and operate in all of this negativity. I've got to look for something positive. So let me show you how to change the lens. Let's just use the marriage. All I got to do is ask you, this is going to be good. Have mercy. <laughs> I'm going to sit up close so I can look at your eyes. When you first met your wife, how long ago? 28 years ago. 28 years ago. 
go back there 28 years and tell me what you saw when you saw her. What you saw? What did you see? I saw her eyes. What did it look like? They were looking at me. And come on. <laughs> they they were they were looking at me and they were communicating with me. What they tell you? I'm yours. Ooh. Okay, hold on. Stay, stay back there, 28 years. Hmm. Not only did you look at her eyes and she was telling you, hey, how she looked to you. Oh, fine. Oh my God. Fine? Yeah. How fine? Super fine. So fine. Like no other, like no other. You're making my point. If I see something and I like what I see, I naturally move toward it. You can't move backwards and forward at the same time. Isn't that what Jesus says? No man can plow, uh, move forward looking backwards? Yeah. So you looked at your wife. She had them beautiful eyes. She was fine to you. And you did what? I moved forward. You did. You sure did. I'm still moving forward, but I'm I'm moving forward. I'm stuck back and forth. No, 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 no. No, no, I got you. I got you. Hold on. Hold on. So that picture way back then, mm -hmm. you move forward and you started talking to her. You introduced yourself. Man, you were on your A game, weren't you? Yes, sir. A yeah, brother. You know what to say. You know how to make her smile. Mm -hmm. well, guess what? Isn't that same person you now? Yes, it is. The problem is you don't see her the same way you saw her back then. And until you see her the way you saw her back then, you ain't going to move forward. Amen. So how do I see her? How do I resurrect that picture? You got pictures you can go back to? Yes, I do. You got photo albums? Yes, I do. Sit down one day by yourself. And this is for all of us. Sit down by yourself with them old photo albums. And don't be just rushing through them. Man, you go open up one of those covers and just look at that picture, recall what you did, recall, and watch, you start smiling. Yeah. It's going to create something in you. You go, oh my God, man, this woman. Woo-hoo. And she's even better now because we get better as we get old. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. I know sometimes I'm just, I'll just look at her and she's like, what are you staring at? So I'm just looking at you. So yeah, you know that, it kind of, that's the, I got you. I got it. All right, let me put the icing on the cake. I'm looking through them pictures. I'm you now. I'm looking through them pictures. What I see is going to create some thoughts. Man, them thoughts are going to be positive and nice. You're going to be like, have mercy. Look what I got under my roof. And before you know it, your thoughts produces your words. You're going to go up to and you're going to tell her something. Mm, yeah, I am. And you're ultimately, right. you're going to act a certain way with her. Mm -hmm. Now you got to do that, not just today, but if you can get that picture going every day and then think those things, talk those things, and then act those things with her, your marriage will come alive. And I guarantee you, otherwise my name is an overridden Baca. I got to do it within five seconds because if I go to seven seconds, it may, it may not happen. Hey, hey, hey listen, listen. We're we going to adjust that five seconds because that's too long. So I yeah. told Mel Robbins, I said, hey, man, a uh, uh, lady, uh, we, we colleagues, hey, listen, listen, five seconds is too long for people who have chronic anxiety and stress. That's too long. Watch this. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. See, that's too long. I said, I teach my clients 
three seconds or less. I need to act on it. I need to get out of that thought or act on that thought within three seconds. Otherwise, man, it's getting harder. I can't go five seconds anymore. No, it's too much. Yeah. What am I telling you, Mr. Cooper Wood? What am I telling you? Three seconds or less, get it done. And what are you going to be doing in that three seconds? Acting, thinking. I'm going to be, I'm a, most in three seconds, I'm acting. I'm acting in three seconds. I can't stay in the key too long. And the key, it's gonna be turnover. When you look at them pictures, and it invokes a thought, and it's gonna invoke some feelings, act on it within three seconds. Yeah. Every time. Listen, brother. They be wondering where's Cooper Wood. We ain't seen him in months. <laughs> Cooper Wood. Cooper Wood is taking his business. He's scoring in the paint. <laughs> <laughs> that part right there. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, All right guys. I, I'm just having a little fun here, but I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, thank you. These thank couples you. come to me and they tell me, oh man, I want out and I'm ready. Hey, you give me 30 days. I can help change your marriage. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Because all we're doing is changing the picture. We are picture oriented. And I don't have time for two pictures. I'm either going to think positive or negative. And you should have multiple pictures about yourself, about your marriage, your profession, and your personal life. And as a father, guys, change these pictures. I wear these glasses every morning when I get up. One of the first things I do is I clean them. Mm. So I can see right. Within an hour or two, I got to clean them again. Mm -hmm. All day. So I'm going to clean too. I got this. Where's my rag? There it is right there. See? I got one in my car, one at home, and one in my office. And all day, I'm doing this. Because you know why? Because my glasses collect dust, and the dust can create in such a way that it, it alters what I see. And if I don't like what I see, my natural response is to move away from it. The sooner I clean that lens, ooh, look, ooh, have mercy. See? All right. Let me stop. Let me take some questions. I didn't battle it on enough. I get too excited. Don't be inviting me to your church. I might preach for two hours. <laughs> be a good two hours. <laughs> All right, let's talk some questions. Let's make it more practical. I'll, I'll scratch where you're itching. Dr. Lake, can you hear me? I can. And you forgot to tell us, you know, when we get those pictures out and start looking at them and have our tissue ready. Because... Uh, <laughs> You know, I know what it's like to look back at old photos like that and you kind of remember certain things about where you were, what happened and how you got there. And I know Kevin very well, pretty well. He's probably going to shed a tear a few, smile and laugh and all of that, man. But I think ultimately this stuff is so powerful, man. Um, and you have to, I guess for me even, I speak for myself and, and probably some other brothers on here, you kind of have to fight that feeling of feeling angry with yourself because you missed the mark so many times with your mouth or your thoughts and and uh, feeling like that maybe that you said too much to recover from which we all know God is a God of impossibilities but but uh, but I was just thinking while you were talking that you, you said this once and I remember it very clearly you said whatever you're thinking is going to come out of your mouth whatever you say is going to become 
And uh, it's a scary thought because you look back on your situation and you realize that that's exactly what happened. So I'm just grateful for God for giving us an opportunity to experience and hear and see where we uh, where we missed the mark so that we could just go from here. Mm. Amen, man. Amen. Questions, comments? I have a question. Okay. Um, it, it sounds as if... Um, any man can do this, whether a man be in Christ or out of Christ, he can re, re, renew his brain. And I'll say it like that instead of renewing his mind. So, and I'm, I guess I'm asking this for, for, for all of us in a sense. Now, you, let's say uh, Cooper Wood is running in circles in his business and in his business, he's been called to that by God. And he's running into successful people. Man, I don't need to go to church. I, I know how to renew my brain. I, I use all these techniques. W what is your response to them so that they can see the kingdom of God or at least see the door to the kingdom of God? This, this isn't once saved, always saved. This is every day, all day, I'm renewing your mind. I'm renewing how I think, how I talk. So we call it staying and practicing present moment. That moment is only as good as to tell the next one. Yes, sir. What I'm, what I'm asking is, I'm, I'm asking from the standpoint of there, there are people that we run into who, who don't have a relationship with Christ, but they are successful in, in, in these mental techniques and everything. And they're saying, hey, I don't need Christ because I have these mental techniques working for me. What's your response to them? God designed us to want him, to create, he created us with a longing that cannot be filled with external things outside of him. That's what I would say. You know, Dr. Lake, I, I understand, I understand exactly. Second, I mean, oh. am I answering your question? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because, yeah, you, I think you're answering all our questions because the, those types of things um, come up in the circles that we run into. Yes, sir. Hey. You know, Dr. Lake, one of the things that we're, we, we get taught here at New Day is that uh, culture eats vision for lunch. Mm. And you you talking about seeing clear, dreaming, daydreaming rather, visualizing ourselves. We have to maintain that because like what Brother Roger said, we go in these circles, which is cultural, and if we don't have a strong vision, it'll eat us up. So now we're starting to act like, talk like, behave like, think like, and do as the as as culture. So I believe that's part of what uh, Brother Rogers is talking about. My question is: Thanksgiving is coming up, family is coming around. You know, families get together, and families always talk about the same thing year after year after year. What are some of the practical tools that we can take to where we don't have to fully engage and get involved to where our thought process and actions and all that is, is changed to to accommodate that what what are some of the practical tools that we can use and and don't get me wrong gentlemen thank you for that question um you know when family comes around we do delve into our past but how quickly can i transition and transition my family to talk about where we're going I'm the, I'm the patriarch. I'm the spiritual and, and emotional leader of my home. So how quickly can I 
get them moving this way. And we don't do a good job, gentlemen, setting the pace, setting the standard and talking about where we are going. It's that big picture. And, and maybe the holidays are the time to reestablish the big picture that we all working toward or where we going as a family or what we want to accomplish. Yeah, I like to laugh and joke about old times and look at old pictures, but okay, all right, that, that was funny when I was 15. Well, I'm 62, where am I going now? What's important to this family? When we study families, we study them in groups of five gener three to five generations. We study them. We look at the systems that the family has developed, how they handle finances, how we handle conflict, um, what's the thing that kind of runs through each generation. You want to start breaking habits and generational patterns, hey, you better use some of these get-togethers to, to break this stuff. You're often not going to get everybody in one place. When you do, you got to break these old patterns. Your system, that what, how do we handle conflict? That's, you'll see it passed down up to five generations. That's why when uh, Deuteronomy talks about visiting the iniquities of fathers to the third and fourth generation, we're saying, hey, what's going on is one decision that my great, 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 great grandfather made can have an effect to me five generations later. That's how deep this thing is. So I'm turning some of my stuff into where are we going? How are we dealing with this? Putting out conflicts, resolving issues so that when we leave the dinner and go back home, we got a renewed sense of who we are. I'm 17 years old and my father is taking me to college. And the night my father and mother divorced when I was two, my father did not marry until I was 17. The night he was taking me to college, he got remarried. And then my now new stepmom, who's who I love, and my stepsister, she, they're sitting in the back seat. I'm in the front seat with my dad, a trailer hitch on the back, and he's taking me to Huntsville, Alabama, where he went to school. And now I'm going to be the first generation of my family after my dad, the second generation to go to college. And I'm halfway down there, and I still remember it. My father was about five, six, very quiet. And when he spoke, you listened because he didn't say a whole lot. But when he said it was powerful, he tapped me on the shoulder because I was like, I just want to hear him going out to college because I want to meet all these girls. That's all I was thinking about, getting away from home and meeting girls. My father taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, what's your last name? And me being 17 and full of myself, I said, come on, you know what my last name is, the same name you gave me. And then I acted like I was asleep again. And I looked out of the corner of my eye. My dad, when he clenches that jaw, oh, he didn't like that. He said, sit up, boy, and answer the question. He says, tell me your last name. And I knew not to play with my dad. I said, my last name is late. He says, tell me what it means. What does that name mean to you? I don't know what I said, it was stupid. I saw that look of disappointment in his face and he said to me, he said, boy, where I'm from, when you hear the word lake, 
because there were three brothers and he's the oldest. He said, everybody knew that that name meant you can depend on us. We were hardworking. And we were able to deal with whatever life handles that came our way. And we were men of integrity. He says, that's your last name. That thing went right over my head. All I thought about was getting out of there and meeting girls and getting away from home for the first time. And when it hit me, is I got my three girls in the back seat of my car and I'm driving them to school. And I found myself asking them the same question my daddy asked me. I said, hey girls, what's your last name? My middle girl, oh daddy, you so silly. You know what our last name is. You named us that. I turned the radio down and I said, no, listen to me. What does your last name mean to you? I don't even know what they said. It didn't even make sense. And I gave them the same thing my daddy told me. Here's what your name means. Now, three years ago, I'm taking my oldest daughter to school. Her car stopped running. So I'm taking her out of college to finish up her last quarter. Right down here, San Bernardino, Cal State San Bernardino. And she gets in the car and she's crying. Ain't nobody want to see their kids cry. And I've been telling them what their last name means for years since that first day when she was six and her sister was five and her baby sister was two. She got in the car and she was crying and I couldn't be late because she told me she had to get down there for a test and she's crying and I don't know what to do. And we halfway, I'm getting off the exit and she's crying. And then it hit me. I said to her, I said, Taylor, what's your last name? And she did just this. She straightened up and tears stopped. And she says, I'm a lake. I said, what does it mean to you? She says, it means we're dependable. We got integrity. And we can handle whatever life throws our way. We can handle it. At that time, I pulled up to the runout. She jumps out of the car. She takes a couple of steps. The door is wide open. She steps back. She kisses me on the cheek. She says, thanks, Dad, for reminding me who I am. You get these holidays. They're there for a reason. This is the time where you can put your influence on your family. You point them to where we're going how we handle stuff. This is where we talk about tax tips and stocks. I've been talking stocks to my daughters for years. And see, we are last to the table. That's why we getting leftovers. I talked to my family about how to invest in the stock market, how to put away savings and how to pad up your 401k. What are you talking about? I don't care about some football player catching a pass. Oh, I like it. But my family, I want to set them up for the next generation. So that's the kind of stuff we talk about. We talk about how to go back to school and if it's the right time to do it and what to study and what the trends are. That's what we talk about. Oh yeah, we go back to school and like, we tighten up on our 401ks. Did you do this? Did you, did you, are you claiming the right on your tax, on your taxes? You see the kind of stuff we talk about? 
Yeah. So I turned to my daughter last week and I said, we having lunch. And I said to her, I said, how you doing? She said, dad, you'd be proud of me. I said, why? She says, because my savings account is loaded. I said, what do you mean? Because she had the nerve to ask me for some money. I said, yeah. how much is in your savings account? She said, dad, I'm up to $15,000 now. Why are you asking me for money for it? What did she say? You see how we talk? We talk about where you're going. She said, Dad, I'm get. I said, your car is old and broken up. She said, Dad, I'm going to hold on to it. I'd rather have money in the bank. I can always buy a car later. I'm saving money. I'm getting out of debt. What are you talking about with your family? That's my point. All right. Hey, guys, I'm going to jump in for just a minute. We're almost up on 90 minutes. Dr. Iron Lake is such a... A reservoir of everything. Guys, let me just tell you, he does this out of his passion and love for us. He doesn't, he doesn't do this for, for, for pay. He does this up. So this rich information we're getting really again, and the reason that it is so rich is because he is so committed and so deep in, in, in his commitment to help people. I see Tim's hand up. I think uh, Jeff, was your hand up? Was it up? Yeah. Okay, I just want to, then I think, guys, we'll get these last two questions in. Uh, I always want to hear from Bishop before we close. Dr. Lake will be back. We will not let this man go. He is our, he is, he is our, he is our, our unofficial resident psychologist, one, one of them for sure. Like I said, he's my personal therapist and psychologist. And one of the things, well, real quick, Doc, I'm going to turn it over to, to, to Jeff and then Tim, but one quick question because you are counseling and, and providing services for my wife and I, and you pointed out something that she and I didn't realize in her development that caused her to be stuck. So how do these gentlemen know when it's more than just changing the way they're thinking now, but actually having something that says there's something you missed that has to be, I'll just real quickly, you told us about the three stages of development. There's dependence, there's independence, and then there's interdependence. We discovered my wife skipped one stage of development, which, which was independence. And now we're having to focus on that in order for her to get unstuck. So just real quickly, and then I'll turn it over to uh, Jeff and then to Tim, and then the bishop will close out. But just real quickly, how do you know when it's, when they need, when, how do they know when they need more? When they, when what you're giving, the information you're giving us is how to do it. But if there's a deeper underlying issue, how do we, how do we detect that? Um, it never becomes insatiable. You, you, it's, it's just, it just starts, you want to feed it. It's just, I need more. I need more. And so you're going to want to search more. You want to talk more, ask questions more. This thing is, is just like a tapeworm. The more you feed it, the more you're going to want it, the more you're going to want to learn. And that's a sign of you're ready to grow and take these bigger steps. Okay. All right. So in other words, what you're saying is if, if you're not getting the results and you're still pushing and passionate, driving forward, there's maybe something deeper there to dig into and try and resolve that thing. Okay. Rapid fire. So we're going to go to Jeff, Tim, and then Jim, I see your hands up. So we'll go with you and then we'll end with Jim and then Bishop will uh, get you to just uh, give us a little input from your vantage point. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, Dr. Lake, <clears throat> this, this, is, this is perfect. Um, I usually time these men retreats to have my own spiritual retreat over the weekend. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking two days just to be with the Lord. This is a great kickoff, so it's perfect. But one thing I was wondering, uh, I love what you're talking about with the, the forward, the stuck and the backward. And you're also talking about like writing, like words that you, what you see. And so I'm writing down everything. I mean, even in our immense group, I write down the wisdom that these guys share with me. 
because I need it. And so I started journaling not too long ago. And one thing I find, like with these guys, sometimes I have to share my stuff and because I can't do it alone. Mm. You know, I need that prayer. And um, so in, in some of these times, I'm finding I have to journal like daily, like in the morning, just to kind of evaluate where am I? And so am I holding? <laughs> so am I just keeping my grip? Am, am I, am I, or am I slipping? That I get frustrated, distracted, angry, whatever. My come in, or my climbing. Am I? Am I? Am I learning and building and and it's a good. And if I'm slipping, like what you're talking about, what jump do I need to let go? That's anchoring me down. What's tethering my feet, my head, whatever, and and cause me to to go backwards. And so I was just wondering what what kind of tips and tricks and kind of a daily you talked about the daydreaming at night i thought that was awesome are there other things or maybe things we can do as as groups uh in our men's group to help us i i i think the first time i i got with uh, you guys um i talked about the importance of routine and the i just said the, the importance of routine I have, I'm very, and discipline. I'm very disciplined and routine the way my mornings start because that sets the pace for the rest of the day. I wake up pretty much the same time. I have the same time for devotion. I have pretty much the same time for my workout. And I'm in my office pretty much the same time every morning. The only time I alter it, it's a little bit different an hour later on Saturday and an hour later on Sunday. The establishment of routine provides structure and discipline. It will keep you steadfast. If you find yourself getting stale, that means you're not doing your routine. There's not enough variety in it. You should, you know, so, so establishing routine creates the, what you're going to need to kind of sustain yourself. Study, exercise, and, and the things that build you up physically, spiritually, emotionally. Get into these routines. After the routine has been done by 6, 6.15, my routine is pretty much done. The rest of the day, I can go free flow. Toward the end of the day, I go back to the same routine. I end my night with positive things, and I daydream. That's pretty much how I end my night. When I wake up the next morning, I think about that thing I dreamed about the night before, a daydream, and then I start that routine again. I found it, it just works. It keeps me moving and growing and I don't get, I don't have time to get stale. I'm not bored. You know, okay, I, I'll stop there. Amen. Brother Tim. Hello, can you hear me? Yep, we can. Yes, thank you, thank you. Dr. Lake, uh, appreciate your time. Really appreciate your time. Um, it's times like this now we're really makes us feel challenged and uh, I feel I feel such as um, um, so one thing that I've uh, that I've learned to do and where I'm at today is honor, honor God's word and live in his word and become his word and understanding the principles of being 
you're hot or cold. That's if you're hot or cold, you're lukewarm. You got to be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I got to spit you out. So as I look at my life and coming up, I don't talk about the past. Past has nothing to do with where I'm going, what God, what God has for me. Uh, for once in my life, I have given and paid homage to what God says. And there's so many emotional things that's running through my head right now, but they're not negative things. Um, as I look at my character and who I am, I've never put my problems off on other people. And I think that's what people do. They put their emotions and things that they've been through in life. That's why it's never a connection and a friendship and a love. But if we cherish what God has said in his word, and that's to love me first, you're, if, you're, if you're loving yourself and you're loving God as he commanded us to, then it's just a, it's a stronger connection. You're not worrying about what happened in the past. You're not even worrying about what's happening the next day. You're just loving on him, and that's what I do now. I love on Christ more. And, and it's, I'm so, I'm about to, you know, break down right now because I'm so thankful that, you know, I finally got it right, man. I've been running, man. I've been running from God. And I'm so thankful, man, that he gives second chances. Yes. Amen. Amen. Second chances. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. Man, this is a man that died for us. So we wouldn't have to live in our own minds. But if we live in Christ's mind, there's no problems. Because he's a he's a guy, he's a forgiving God. So anyhow, my question to you and your theory on it. How do you deal with a person that's always talking about the past? I know what I would want to do, but if God has appointed me to be in that person's life and I have to keep hearing about what the past is, I'm not focused on the past. As you said, Dr. Lake, when I get up in the morning, when I put one foot down, my hands go straight up to the Father. I, I always have music playing that's spiritually that's feeding my spirit. I'm constantly feeding my spirit, constantly. And that's what God is changing me because I'm I'm spending time, I'm spending quality time with him. So in my challenges, which is not a challenge for me because I know where I'm going. I know what he has for me. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. So dealing with someone that you love that's always talking about the past and I just wanted to know your theory on it. Thanks for coming. So remember now, the mind can only focus on one thing at a time. Your brain is a record keeper of past events. It's like a museum. It takes all those things you did that day and stores it. When you go to a museum, the museum is a, a place where everything that has happened is a recorder of everything that's already happened. So here's how we do it. Because if I'm stuck in talking about the past, I don't have anything to look forward to create pictures that allow people. So I help, help people create visions or pictures that drives them forward. What do you want to do? Where is God calling you? What's your two-year plan? What do you want to do financially? I'm always creating pictures that will drive you forward. I can't focus on the past and these new pictures at the same time. 
I'm going to do one or the other. I want you to focus on this one going forward. That's what I do. Help people create pictures. Talk to them about where they want to go, what they want to do. Help create it. And once they get it, they'll stop talking about the past. Like, I appreciate your time. I will be setting up an appointment with you, sir. Amen. Thank you, Todd. Okay, Brother Jim, I think back in time. Sorry, guys, my hot spot died on me. Jim? All right, real quick. Uh, first of all, Kevin, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to help facilitate this meeting. And it, you, you spend your time and efforts to get this meeting done. And everybody else who helped with this, I want you to know I appreciate it. Uh, and Dr. Lake, uh, you are just a godsend. I just thank God for you so much. And uh, I pray that he keeps his hand on you. Mm. He just brings more uh, intellect to you and he blesses you more and your family. So thank you so much for taking your time to give us the gift that you just gave us. My question is quick. How do you convince or to talk to someone that you know that needs counseling, but is totally against it or just doesn't want to be a part of it, but you know they need it and they, you know they can benefit from it. So what dialogue would you use to convince them to, to take that step to get that counseling? The power of a changed life is the greatest witness for what you want somebody to do. Thank you. That's the first thing. So you're saying change me first. And, and the, your, life's, it, your life and how you act and talk, and that's your greatest witness. Amen. That's what he says. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify God in heaven. So when people hear, so I go back to the woman at the well. Everybody knew what she was. But when she came back and having that encounter with God, she said, I'm going to tell you about a man. But she showed them about this man. And that's what people follow. Last thing, we know for a fact in psychology that if you press people about this thing over and over or about anything, we naturally become resistant to it. It's just built in our DNA. If you want to change a person's life, you say what you're going to say, and then you back off. Research says that about 90% of the time, if you make your point about this, that, or the other, and back off without any pressure, people are more likely to turn to it. I tell couples, you arguing all night, for what? Make your point, hear her point, back off. You're going to come back together and use the repeat, and within 24 to 48 hours, people come back to it. Well, I'm going to spend all night talking about this thing. You make your point, back off. If somebody needs counseling, you tell them what it did for you and then show them what it did for you, then back off. Amen. Watch what happens. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Amen, mm -hmm. amen. 